just as I am. Welcome to the Gospel Saves Podcast, a program that discusses all matters related to the Christian faith. Please visit thegospelsaves.me. You can also visit The Gospel Saves on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And Welcome back. We've been talking about the problem of evil, a problem that has been described as the most difficult issue that believers in God face. As I quoted on an earlier episode, it's created more doubters, more skeptics, more atheists than any other issue that faces believers in God. To answer these questions, I am appealing to the, to the scriptures trying to understand what the Bible has to say about evil. On our last episode, we talked about how God is good, how everything he created is good, including a beautiful gift which we call free will. We know free will exists because of the choice God gave Adam in the garden. He gave him the freedom to choose from every tree to eat except for one, and if he ate of that tree, he would die. But we also know free will exists based on our own experiences. In the concept of free will, we see that God did not create evil, but rather he created the possibility for evil. So in giving us that freedom, he created the possibility, not actual evil. One of the other things we talked about when it comes to the gift of free will, is how it's not absolute. That free will, the freedom to choose, is constrained by natural laws, for example, and what I would also call divine laws, God's moral code, if you will. The last thing I mentioned on the episode was, no matter how you think or how you feel or what you believe about yourself, You can choose to follow after God. I think this is a terribly critical point, especially in our day and age, when people will say something along the lines of, well, I know what the Bible says, but this is how I feel. God created me this way, so this is the way I'm going to live, regardless of what the Bible says. I don't go along with that sort of thinking. I believe we have the freedom to choose how to act, how to live our lives, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we believe about ourselves. Now, in this consideration, in this response to the problem of evil, there have been two verses that have anchored our consideration. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, in which we are told that God looked down upon creation and he saw that everything was very good, including the gift of free will. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we find God giving Adam the freedom to make a choice. I am assuming that my audience is somewhat familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. If you're not familiar with it, I invite you to read the third chapter of the book of Genesis. But this is a story that I think is, is universally known. And in that story, we find that there is a third party involved in the temptation of man. And that is the 
the, the person, the angel, Satan. Now, he's called a serpent in Genesis chapter 3, and there's no mistaking that this is the, the, the being who is later called Satan. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 9, John sees a great dragon cast out, and he identifies the dragon as the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. As we look at the story of Adam and Eve, and we look at how Satan is involved, we might be tempted to wonder, is Satan the one responsible for bringing sin into the world? The answer to that question is no, at least that's the answer the Bible gives. The Bible always holds Adam accountable for bringing sin and death into the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 is just one example. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, Satan was a third party. He was involved in, in tempting Adam and Eve. But as far as responsibility for sin goes, that responsibility falls on the shoulders of Adam. Scripture is very clear on that point. Now, that's not to say that Satan doesn't continue to be involved in the world, and I hope in a, in a few episodes to talk some more about Satan, because I think we can't talk about evil unless we talk about this malevolent being, this being who is a liar and a deceiver. We'll talk about him some more, though, later on. Let's get back, though, to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6. In that verse, we learn that sin is rooted in our desires. Scripture says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Scripture is describing what Eve was experiencing in this moment of temptation. And it reveals to us that there was something inside of Eve that was drawing her toward this fruit. This is what scripture calls desire. James in James chapter 1 verse 14 says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Temptation preys upon desire. Desire is within us and temptation preys upon that desire in order to produce sin. Sin happens when we move from desire to temptation to action. And that's exactly what happens with Eve. Satan tempted her. This temptation appealed to her desires. She took of the fruit and she ate it. Her husband took of the fruit and ate it. And we know what happens next. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the temptation of Eve is that it lines up with something John says, the Apostle John, in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Eve's desires fall into these three categories. She saw that the tree was good for food. This is the lust of the flesh. She saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. This is the lust of the eyes. And she saw that the tree, the fruit of the tree, was desirable to make one wise. This is the pride of life. 
So sin begins with desire, and this desire is rooted inside of each one of us. We are presented with a temptation. This temptation appeals to our desires, and these desires, if we act upon them, lead us into sin. Now, there's another lesson I'd like to draw out from the, the fall of Adam and Eve, and that is the connection between sin and deceit. Satan was very cunning in his temptation. He used deceit in order to ensnare Eve. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the Apostle John describes Satan as the one who deceives the world. This goes along with something that Jesus himself says about Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says of Satan, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. When you look at the word Satan used to tempt Eve, you will notice that his deceit is very subtle. God's original command was, you shall not eat, or pardon me, you shall surely die if you eat of the tree. Satan says to Eve, you shall not surely die. In order to deceive her, all he had to do was add one word, you shall not surely die. This small lie was enough to hook Eve. He goes on to say, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that's actually a true statement so far as I can tell. But what Satan is, is sowing in the mind of Eve is the possibility that, the, that God had evil intent in giving this command, that God was withholding something from Adam and Eve, that there was some good thing that they could attain if they simply disobeyed the command of God. Satan spoke the truth, and eating the fruit did exactly what Satan predicted, but he sowed seeds of doubt. His lie said, you will not surely die. Here's what will really happen. You'll attain something. You'll obtain something that God doesn't want to give you. So he implies that there's evil intent on God's part. What did they learn? What did Adam and Eve learn as they took a bite of that forbidden fruit? Well, Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, that the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The first thing they learned was that they were vulnerable. They were naked. And this may be tied back to the consequence God warned them about should they eat of the fruit. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The awareness of death the awareness of their own weakness and vulnerability came rushing upon them. That's a bit of speculation on my part, but it seems to fit with our own experiences and what we see elsewhere in the scripture. Another thing they learned was a sense of shame. What was the first thing they did? Well, they tried to cover their nakedness. And this is one of the functions of a guilty conscience. For the first time, Adam and Eve experienced a guilty conscience and the shame that comes as a result of making a mistake. And we all understand that. We've all experienced that sense of regret and guilt for doing something we knew we should not have done. We know there are things we should not do, and yet we do them. 
What comes as a result? Regret, guilt, shame. So they tried to cover their nakedness. And as we'll talk about in the next episode, their conscience became guilty. And that activation of the conscience is a very important part of this story. And we'll talk more about the conscience in the next episode. So sin is indeed the ultimate deceiver. So what can we take away from sin's entrance into the world? Well, as we've talked about, God is good. Everything he created is good, including this beautiful gift of free will. Although Satan was involved in the fall of Adam and Eve, it was their desire for what was not rightfully theirs, which led to their fall. In the end, sin deceived. They did not become like God. They became like God in one sense, in that they could discern the difference between good and evil, but they were not like God in entirety. Instead, we became aware of our own vulnerability, we learned shame and death, and our conscience was activated, especially that guilty conscience. Now, in closing, I just want to remind us that what we lost in the garden is restored in Jesus Christ. In the latter chapters of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapters 21 and 22, we see that in Christ, all things are restored, that in heaven, all tears are wiped away. There's no more death, no more crying, because all those former things have passed away and God makes everything new. Also in heaven, we see a river flowing from the throne of God, and next to that river is the tree of life, and its leaves are used for the healing of the nations. So what we lost in the garden is restored in Jesus Christ. We can once again have communion with God, and all of these sorrows and pains, all of the suffering, are taken away in Jesus Christ. This is what we have to look forward to in eternity. Thanks for listening to the Gospel Saves podcast. If you found this program useful, please visit thegospelsaves.me to find blogs, videos, and Bible studies. If you enjoyed the music on this podcast, please visit acapeldridge.com. You can also find Acapeldridge on Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Facebook. May God bless you as you seek to know His perfect will. Oh,